0: What's up, wonderful people? It is the Friday edition of the NBA Exchange. We got a good one today. We're going to be talking about the Brooklyn Nets, who are off to a 1-4 start. I know some of my Nets friends, fans out there are concerned about what's going on in the borough of Brooklyn. So, you know, we're going to talk Nets. I had to bring on one of my guys who has been on here a couple times. I think it's his third time on the show. To talk some Nets. He is the Nets writer for Sports Illustrated and Nets Daily as well. Known from going back to the Nets Daily days. He's not done with Nets Daily. He's a part of the Nets Daily family. I'm glad to have him here as Chris Mulholland. Chris, what's going on, man? What's up, brother? Always a great time talking to you. Always a great time coming on the show. How how are you? I'm You listen, man. I'm I'm doing good. I'm doing pretty well. Can't complain. I'm very happy, as you would know, the basketball season is back. Um, so that is always good for me. I'm sure you're happy about that as well too. Oh yeah. Although in in, in Brooklyn, you know, we had a, a little bit of a turbulent off season, um, some drama <laughs> that you might have heard about, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. now the Nets they're off to a one and four start. Um, I have some concerns about the Nets. If I'm being mm-hmm. honest, I got some concerns about them with them starting at one and four. Where are you? How do you evaluate this one and four start? Is it? Are you in the camp of it's too early. It's five games. We shouldn't be overreacting. Or do you see some things where you're like, "All right, I'm concerned about this."
1: I guess you could call me in the middle of the pack here, right? I, I think yeah. I'm in the middle because the thing is, it's it's early, right? It's an 82 game slate, and Kyrie's case obviously he calls it 82 tour dates. Um, but you're 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 in that game five. Obviously, they just complete game five. They stand at one and four. And when you really look at it, you know, it's it's the same kind of theme going back to last season. An unrare un- kind of theme for a lot of contenders, right? It looks like a new team. They look like a team that's playing, obviously, a lot of pickup basketball, getting to know each other. You know, obviously, when you incorporate new faces like Royce O'Neal, obviously, you know, you get a guy like Joe Harris back in the mix. And, you know, when they're not even healthy either. They got Seth Curry that's co- probably coming back on Saturday against the Pacers. Marquise Morris missed some time with personal reasons as well. But, and you know, biggest uh, question mark of them all is obviously Ben Simmons. He hasn't looked too bright in these past these opening games either. So, you know, when you kind of add that all into a mix, like I said, they look like a brand new team, a lot of new faces and still trying to find the connect uh, connectivity and continuity. And like you said earlier, you know, when you date it back to the offseason, what happened, especially with Kevin Durant labeled in that offseason saying Hey, the lack of accountability, there wasn't that much stability, especially since I'm get, entering those years where, you know, I'm seeing the end of my basketball career. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out in these coming games.
0: Yeah, I, I've, you know, coming into this, Chris, I had a lot of concerns about what went down in the offseason and, you know, talked to a lot of people around it. And my thing was like, look, it's not really just about the fact that Kevin Durant made this trade request when he did. But I really what I was really concerned about was, OK, we it got out there that we know he wanted Steve Nash. Or Sean has gone. And now everybody's coming back to work together. How does that work? How you you've been around the team a little bit. How are you seeing the dynamic? Is this believable? Is everybody happy? Is it all kumbaya? Or like is there still tension in the air? You know, like at Media
1: Day, you know, they they all gave good responses. They all held their own accountability. And at the same time, they they mostly portrayed the theme of, hey, families do fight, right? That always happens. And, you know, it was Steve Nash kind of addressed it as, you know, it was a good thing that Kevin spoke up about this and he addressed his issues going forward. Right. And even though it's a little awkward for Steve, obviously, knowing that him and Sean both did not deny and accepted the fact that there was that ultimatum of, hey, you got to choose between me. In that case, Kevin Durant or Sean Marks and Steve Nash. Right. Now they're all together, like you mentioned. Um, So, you know, it's it's one of those things where you kind of wait to see when adversity strikes. And it's weird because obviously adversity is striking right now with this team. So that was obviously the main question mark going into this this season was when adversity does strike, how does this team going to react, right? Are they going to react, especially obviously starting pinpointing and starting with Kevin Durant? Are they going to kind of take it on the chin, uh, kind of go forward and off the year? Or is Kevin Durant going to be frustrated when that adversity does hit? And obviously it's depending on how prolonged that adversity is for um does it as deadly really as he wants out he really forces his way out say at the trade deadline when it gets to that time and the whole ship blows up you know so you know like i said it's it really depends on when the adversity does hit i wouldn't really call this adversity i know a lot of people are but I wouldn't really call adversity because mm-hmm. it's the first f- handful of games. You know me, Dexter. I'm I'm the type of guy that says, "Hey, game 20, 25. That's when you really get the clear focus of when the direction, what the direction this team is heading in. What's bad, what's good, what's been a recurring problem, what's fixable. So you know, like I said, I think it. I think you know, my gut feeling is that they're going to remain together for at least this year. The the, the star-studded core.
0: All right, it's, it's, yeah, I, I, I'm not even getting to the point where I want to go into, like, should we make changes? I do yeah. think that's a little bit, that's a bit much. But some people are already going there. I do think mm-hmm. it's a bit much. I think when you're looking at, there's a couple things I think we could look at, yeah. Chris, when it comes to if you have some concerns after five games. Defense. Now, I'm mm-hmm. not saying that I expected the Nets to be a good defensive team. I didn't. But last in the league in defensive rating right now, they're 30th in the league, in defensive rating. How concerned are you about this with the Nets and the fact that their defense hasn't looked good at goal, especially when you put Ben Simmons in the starting lineup and um, Royce O'Neal in the starting lineup as well, who's supposed to be, you know, they're plus on-ball defenders and it hasn't worked out. How concerned are you about the Nets' defense?
1: I'm pretty concerned in that aspect. I think that's the most, concern, most concerning aspect of this team that I'm most concerned about, right? Because when you look at it, you brought up their last in defensive rating. They're also last in defensive rebounding. And when you look at it, that kind of stems back from Shaw Mark's decision to not re-sign or even sign a lumbering big man, right? He saw Andre. He didn't chose not to re-sign Andre Drummond. He went to the Bulls. Obviously, Blake Griffin, Lamarcus Aldridge, in their uh, respective areas as well. And when you really look at it, like you know, the, the the defense is is switching too much, in my opinion. We saw what happens when they do switch too much against Dallas yesterday. Luca, like when Ben Simmons was to sign on, Luca, Luca tried almost every chance to switch out and get a matchup that wasn't against Simmons, right? And when that happened, the only success the Nets really had in that situation was when they sent the double when Luca was on along the baseline, right? Because then that makes that gives Luca obviously a tougher ability to make those creative passes for open shooters or cutters. And we've seen that theme obviously against the Bucks as well. But like you said, you know when you have a guy like Ben Simmons who's very antsy on the defensive end, he's trying to get his footing. And you can just tell his timing is completely off. And I credit that more so to obviously his time away from the game more than anything. I don't think that's anything scheme-wise. I don't think that's anything play-wise. I just think it's just time away from the game getting his footing back. But like you said, with the guys like Royce O'Neal, for example, a guy that's a veteran wing that has a defensive profile, known for his defensive profile, 3 and D guy, you know, when you see those type of aspects and those type of footings, I kind of just correlate this all together that they're just not connected defensively or offensively. They're they're bunt. They lack continuity. They lack cohesion. And Duxton, you know this better than anyone. You know that's not one of those things. That's a quick fix. That's something that's going right. to take months to to, pro, to right. kind of touch on and fabricate on, because time heals that. We see it all the contenders and like you know with defenses too. Getting on the rebounding standpoint, when you look at all the opposing teams that are contenders, such as uh in the like milwaukee's the mm-hmm. celtics philly what do they have and the nets don't have they have a lumbering big man and that's just going to be an attachment so that's why i think this team has to make a move to get that like you you probably were going to hit that when you're talking about the moves yeah but, uh, it's concerning
0: yeah, yeah yeah, i mean i mean you know that's that is definitely a move that's going to be a concern and and obviously rebounding which you mentioned i'm glad you brought that up obviously mm-hmm. is the last part of defense right you got to secure the ball the rebound this team has not been a good rebounding team, defensive rebounding team in particular, for the last couple of years. So that is a big concern. And you've seen how uh, players have had big games against them on the boards, whether it was Steven Adams mm-hmm. with Memphis. Uh, we saw Zion Williamson in the first game. Obviously, Giannis uh, grabbed mm-hmm. up his 14 boards the other night uh, yep. against them. So that's been a concern. And Listen, here, here we go. Here we go, Chris. We already have fans checking. I see the comments. I've been shout checking them. Shout out to Avery Moses out there watching on Facebook. We appreciate you, uh, sir. Fire Nash. I will get to that later. But he did also mention get a legitimate big, mm-hmm. which is something that you talked about. Um, any, I do want to say something to that, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not like Nick Claxton has played poorly. Um, mm-hmm. early on, offensively, he's been pretty good. Uh, do you like what you've seen out of him? or Do you think he's the answer? He just needs help in terms of the rebounding. Like, mm-hmm. What do you think about Claxton at the five?
1: He's definitely taking steps in growth, right? Like when you look at it, like, he, like last season – well, I would t- more touch on this season. He's driving to the basket. He wants to bring out that quote-unquote young Claxton even though he's 23 years old. So he wants to bring back that Georgia style of play, right, where he was driving to the rim. He was aggressive on the boards. He was kind of just that all-around threat. It's obviously aside from shooting, right? So, you know, it's it's hard for Clax because when you have a lineup with two non-shooters in Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton, ideally on paper, when you look at that lineup, including Royce O'Neill, for example, a guy like Kevin Durant in his wingspan and his size and length, you know, you, you figure that's a good defensive profile team on paper. But the thing is, like I said, they just don't have that cohesion and continuity and teams know where the weakness is, right? They know that, OK, if they have a lumbering big, you look at the game against like um, the Pelicans, for example, right? Obviously, a lot of teams have difficulty defending that front court of Valanchunas and Zion, right? But the Nets got completely obliterated. I think they gave up the most second-chance points they have, I think, even dating back to last season. And the rebounding margin was just absurd. And we saw that, obviously, this time around, like I mentioned before, with the defensive rebounding stats. That just leaves opportunities for second-chance points. And Dexter, you know, too, when you look at this team, they they have on paper all the firepower. We saw Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving have done this year offensively. They've been spectacular scoring the ball. But when this team goes and comes from, like, playing downhill, especially from the start of games going on, you can't be dependent on Kevin and Kyrie all the time. Because, like we saw in the Mavericks game, Mavericks were setting double teams on Kevin Durant every chance they could. Kyrie Irving was a lot of time playing iso ball on the top of the key, looking for shots, getting to his spots. But he had struggles doing that. So, you know, just to get back on your point, you know, with the lumbering big, for example, and this is one thing I want to touch on. I get a lot of fans want a, a lumbering big, a legit big. But the other side of it is they don't have the assets to acquire one, right? Because the mm. thing is, they can't trade any of the players they signed in the offseason until December 15th. They don't have any draft capital as well. And that big man that, they're, that that would ideally fit that legitimate big, it's very broken down how they would want him to play in the fit, right? Miles Turner would be that ideal fit, right? Miles Turner would check off a lot of boxes, but Indiana would obviously want draft capital in that situation. Absolutely, something that, they don't, that the Nets don't have. So it's a tough spot for Brooklyn. You know, it's one of those decisions that Sean Marks opted to go against in the offseason. I think he's really biting his lip watching them on the
0: court right now. Yeah, it's going to need that. And this, you you said a bunch of stuff there that actually leads me to the next thing I want to talk mm-hmm. about, which is um, the offense. Now, yeah. I do think, and maybe it was you, and I want to put words in your mouth either, yeah, but go I on. think most, most people looking at the Nets this year were like, okay, the thing we're not going to have to worry about, is mm-hmm. them scoring the ball. Like, this, is, this is not the thing we're going to have to worry about. Right now, they're 17th in mm-hmm. offensive rating in the NBA. This is not where you want the Nets. At a minimum, you thought, hey, they're going to score. They're going to have to outscore people. The defense mm-hmm. might not be up to par. I don't think anybody thought it would be as bad as 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, I don't think anybody thought the offense would be bad as 17th. My question to you about the offense is, Chris, and you kind of touched upon this, when you have lineups where you got Claxton, we're talking about the starting lineup, you've got Simmons, we'll get to him later, you've got Royce uh, O'Neal, you know, you're dealing with multiple non-shooters on the floor. Obviously, mm-hmm. Katie and Kyrie are all-world, but you're dealing with non-multiple shooters on the floor. Can this offense really be good as is currently constructed, or is this more about, hey, when Seth Curry gets back, when Joe Harris gets back? That's when we can see things take off. Are you worried, concerned about Brooklyn? Seventeenth mm-hmm. in an offensive rating right now.
1: I'm the, you know it's middle ground again. Middle ground. You right? love you love the
0: middle ground, Chris. Yeah, I like the middle, middle ground. ground. <laughs> it's too
1: early, you know. I'm I'm kind yeah. of in that part because the thing is the Nets are struggling to find that third leading scorer, right? Because in, in in the beginning of the season, everyone thought you know Ben Simmons could be that fifteen eighteen point range points per game range guy. Everyone thought, okay, Nick Claxton, you know, he's taken steps. Obviously, in the preseason, he excelled well. He, maybe he could step up in that role. But when you really look at it, like I have it written down right here, um, over the past four games, there's been four different guys that have served that, in that leading score role in that third slot, right? It's been Patty Mills, David Duke, Nick Claxton, and Royce O'Neal. So there's not a solidified third score, and that's all because Ben Simmons is he has been a non-fact on the offensive end because he's re- regaining his footing is it more so what i start what i'm starting to tend to as kind of a maybe a mental block more than kind of schemes and getting his footing so for guys like maybe Dexter like you you would probably know what a mental block is in sports so that's when you come off a long layoff whether it's obviously more directed towards injury and you have a fear of okay if i'm aggressive driving to the basket i may reaggravate my back for example we saw that in Milwaukee he he went to the basket and the moment he went against Giannis, he started favoring his back. It looked like he tweaked his back. I think he even he admitted it after the game to the reporters that had traveled to Milwaukee. And after that, he was a non-factor aggressively. Yesterday, the, the first basket that, of the game, ironically, was Simmons. Obviously, he had a nice little turnaround just right in, right on the block. But you know when you don't have a solidified third score, and like I said, you know it's a bunch of new faces, new roles have to be defined. You got you got to get a guy like Joe Harris back, who's obviously the Nets are being very cautious with, coming off two uh, ankle surgeries, and a guy like Seth Curry. You know he's going to be back Saturday, it looks like. And then you got to look at even down the down the down the line. I don't think T.J. Warren's going to be back till December, especially mm-hmm. since he's getting reevaluated in November, especially coming off two straight stress fractures. But this was a guy that in his last, or even in the bubble like many guys know, he's a capable 20-point-per-game scorer if he's in the right system, if he gets the right touches. But he's also at a position with a lot of depth. So, And especially when he does take the court, like me and you know, the Nets are very cautious with injuries. He's going to be on a very heavy minutes restriction. So without having that third star... Like you said with claxington and Ben for example and like you that's too non-shooting big so it interrupts the spacing especially the passing lanes for Ben to get those shooters open you know it's a lot of just weird it's like a puzzle that has a lot of parts and you can't quite put it together so that's why I'm thinking it's like when this team's fully healthy you kind of get a good look where can marky Morris could even contribute off the bench right so in this case you know it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out but you know there in my mind yeah there are some concerns offensively
0: yeah, I, I think so, too. And I'm glad you brought up Ben Simmons, which we're going to get into next. And then I see Avery, who's been – we appreciate you, Avery, for uh, uh, checking in. Um, and he talks about Ben Simmons because people have not yep. been telling him that he doesn't have to shoot. And this is funny because yep. I was talking about this with a friend, a uh, uh, couple friends last night in a group chat. And there is – I think there is something to mm-hmm. that. And we'll get into that. There is something mm-hmm. to the fact that before people – Ben Simmons hasn't had to shoot. Steve Nash said at the beginning of training camp he doesn't really care – um, if mm-hmm. Ben Simmons shoots, I'm gonna be real here. I care. <laughs> like I, I care. think, yeah, I know you care too. And I think that it matters Ben Simmons' lack of shooting. And you brought mm-hmm. up something that I think is not getting talked about enough in terms mm-hmm. of NBA circles and around Ben Simmons. And I think I think what we're doing is, mm-hmm. and it's delicate because some mm-hmm. of it might deal with mental health, right? Yeah, percent um, And I wanna be respectful to that as mm-hmm. well, too. But mm-hmm. I think that. What my concern is, this is, and I've said this on another show when Gerard Hector was on with me. I don't care about Ben Simmons shooting threes, I Mm could care less, Chris. But
1: Mm -hmm. he does
0: need to shoot to put pressure on the defense. He does need to be somewhat aggressive, right? We -hmm. can't see like what we saw in Milwaukee, where you got Kyrie yelling him, Shoot it, Ben. You give me that's, I I don't Mm -hmm. see how this team can win if he's not at least reasonably aggressive. And to Mm -hmm. Avery's point, Back in his Philly days, whether it was under Doc, whether it was under Brett Brown, he was not encouraged to shoot at all yep. whatsoever. And I wonder what detriment that has had an effect on his career now. So are you with me? Does the lack of shooting concern you? And also, are you concerned about it from a mental block standpoint that he can overcome this as we go forward into the season and eventually start shooting the ball?
1: Make room because I'm joining you on that one. Yeah, 100%, 100% what you agreed right there. Because like, when you look at Ben, right? Especially in his LSU days, he was a mid-range shooter, right? He he, he had that mid-range shooting like uh, threat in his bag, right? When he went to the elbows, not obviously not with threes more than anything. He used to pop shots at the nail, you know, just get in the post, high post, do a lot of little moves here and there, and make at least pose himself as a threat that hey, if you're going to give me some space in the mid-range, I'm going to shoot the ball, right? And that's my problem, too. You brought it up. You explained it perfectly with with how Steve and, obviously, that kind of posing that threat of shooting. We're not asking Ben to take three-point shots, corner threes, whatever the case is. But if Ben could be aggressive driving to the basket, if if the, if the if the defenders decide, you know what, let me drop low, go in kind of a dunker spot, and he's wide open at the foul shot. But if he takes the shot, and he does this commonly, teams are going to game plan around that. Because Ben's already a hard player to game plan for, right? Because when we've talked to Eric Spolstra and Jason Kidd about it, like in these past couple games, I think those are the two coaches that really kind of um, explained it well. He's a hard player to game plan when he's comfortable on the court and he's situated. Because he can do a lot of things. Obviously, his his play in transition. Well, obviously, that huge play he had defensively uh, on Luka Doncic to kind of of, uh, force overtime, giving the ball to a trailing Durant for the dunk. But, you know, it's one of those things where you they have to have him at least attempt to shoot the ball to pose that threat. Because if you're going to pair him, and I know Steve has talked about yesterday, he's starting to go away from the pairing of Nick Claxton and Ben Simmons, which I agree. I think you have to go away from and start game planning else uh, otherwise. And putting Ben at the five in the small ball lineups. And I guess you could even call it ultra small ball lineups because Ben can't shoot. But, you know, like you said, that, that mental aspect, I definitely 100% agree with you. Because when you look at it, you brought, the, you brought up a great point with Bruce Brown. He wasn't really obligated to shoot or pressured to shoot. In his rookie year, obviously, he shot a little bit. But when you look at the rosters that he was also around in Philly, that including Corkmoss, Moss, Danny Greens, you know, those type of guys. He had shooters everywhere. The Sixers made a great game plan for him as well. But, you know, going back to this, you know, you can't. And especially in today's NBA, you can't really have a guy with that skill set and especially that type of role with a team that just won't shoot the ball.
0: Yeah, I I just don't see how it could work. Like, I just, you know, and and the problem is, you know, also, too, what people look at is what you're paying him um, and his expected role with this team. Listen, I think you and I are both saying this. We know he's a fantastic defensive player. Mm -hmm. And I think. The defense, like you said earlier, I think it was going to take him some time to get adjusted, new team, rotations, et cetera, that. And we saw something that had that big play against Luca last night to come up with the steal. Yeah. I think you tweeted the play of his, of his Nets career yeah. thus far, and mm-hmm. I agree with that um, on the defensive end. But he's got to shoot. I think if he mm-hmm. doesn't start shooting, it's going to hurt the team. And like you said, even if it's around the basket, teams right now are game planning the other way. And, yeah. you know, in the fact that they're sagging off of him, and if you if and when the Nets get to the playoffs, it's only going to be worse if he doesn't shoot. They will mm-hmm. totally ignore him, as mm-hmm. teams should if he's not gonna shoot. And it's gonna be a problem. And I I do I do wonder about that. But in the same breath of us saying all that, Chris, you know, I I hope that whether it's through sports psychology, whatever's needed, I don't want to speak about mm-hmm. Benson's mental health, that I don't know, but whatever mm-hmm. he help he can get, I'm sure the Nets are working on this to get him to overcome that is going to be necessary because I think if he doesn't, it's going to limit how good this team uh, can be. The other thing thing I've been noticing, Chris, Kevin Durant, yeah, Um, he's playing a lot of minutes. A lot of minutes. He's averaging over 37 minutes a game. I do not think that's ideal for what you'd want with KD at this point of his career um, and what they're trying to do in Brooklyn. Uh, how concerned are you about that? And do you think there's any way Steve Nash can scale back on the minutes at all? Or, or do they have to play it?
1: You know, it's it's such a tricky balance, right? Because with Kevin, he's that type of guy. Like, even during training camp, um, he was asked, and even Steve was asked, that we got the both sides of the equation. You know Kevin. Kevin's going to be like, hey, I want to play 48 minutes a game. I don't know how long left I have left to play basketball. Steve Nash is saying, hey, obviously it's a tricky balance. We want to get him rest. We want to balance his minutes. But, you know, it all dictates on whether the Nets do great, right? Because at the end of the day, the, the Nets can get out and hold 10-point leads, 12-point leads, whatever the case is. Those little five to eight-minute breaks that Kevin Durant could rest on the bench maybe to even like in the midway of each quarter. The second quarter has been a popular spot for Kevin to sit on the bench. Those add up. Those are valuable. Because when you look at games like tonight uh or last night on a second game of back-to-back that go into overtime, the Nets had really no choice but to play Kevin in the overtime, right? So when you really look at it, especially I don't want to call Kevin like an injury-prone guy, but th- throughout these past couple of years, dating back, obviously, the Achilles being the worst, last year, obviously, there was a freak knee injury, and the year before that, I think there was something else in there as well. So there's other things that add up, but more, the, the biggest thing, more more importantly, is that you want this guy refreshed for the playoffs. And when you get guys that are obviously at 34 years old that are playing, averaging 37 minutes, up to even 40, bordering 40 minutes... He's not going to be refreshed for the playoffs, and how this team's looking too. They're obviously not looking like right now. They're going to be a top three seed in the East. You know, obviously a lot of people look at the tanking disparities that are going to come in the second half of the season from the six seed down, right? But regardless, if they have to do the same route like they did last year, where they have to really fight for their playoff spot, and at that point you with the, you're back against the wall. Kevin's going to have to play those forty minutes. Yeah. So you know they don't want to go through that of a whole playing round, then go go to a first round series against one of the top Eastern Conference threat teams but you know it's it's definitely a question mark i think it's a big concern it's going to be one of those things where they have to manage you know you have to give them rest days regardless you have to pick and choose your battles here but um like it's similar to last season man you know it's not it's never it's not going to be a clean thing
0: never going to be a clean thing there at all okay this brings us now to the I, I hate talking about this stuff in sports. Yeah. I really hate talking about people's mm-hmm. jobs. I really do. But you I saw hate it too. you saw Avery, who's been checking in. And thank you again, Avery, for checking in and liking the video, sharing it and all that. We appreciate you. Um Steve Nash. Yep. I had spoken with uh New York Post, Nets beat writer Brian Lewis about this. If he was on the hot seat or not, this was before the season. He said yes. It was also mm-hmm. competitive. The Nets got off to a pretty good start. They are not off to a good start at one and four. Um, which I think would make the seat hotter for Steve Nash. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody texted me this last night. They said, do you think Steve Nash makes it past Thanksgiving? And I was like, are we sure he makes it past February? F- I mean, excuse me, mm-hmm. November 1st? I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, what do you say? D- is the seat hot as it's going to be for Nash? Is getting hotter if they don't turn things around?
1: You know, it's it's tough because I think, well, first off, I don't think even if Steve were to go, I think it's a parting way situation because obviously we know the relationships with within, inside the organization. But the, I think the thing most importantly is with Steve, I do think he's on the hot seat. I think his seat is getting hotter and hotter. Right. I, that's what my belief is. And Dexter, obviously, you, you're part of the Nets daily crew covering this Nets team as well. Obviously, back then. You had a kind of a more fun team to cover, you know. It was it was the the golden the go- I call it the golden days of the Nets, leading up to obviously it was these a little, championships. It
0: was a little less stressful, Chris. A it was a little less, less stressful. stressful. Yeah,
1: but you know better than anyone. When you yeah. cover a team, you expect the unexpected, right? And I'm yep. expecting the unexpected. You know, I think I know we're going to get into this with the scheduling, the later half of the schedule. So I don't want to break it down too much. But considering how much more ease this next schedule is, especially till the West Coast swing in the third week of November. I don't. I don't think if Steve could capitalize this. I think there will be. I think there's. There probably going to be a good discussion whether obviously he's in. The, he's the coach for this team. And when you look down the bench, obviously Jack Vaughn would likely be the replacement coach because obviously he's the lead assistant. Even though, hey, I know you guys got the Nets have Igor, obviously a very well respected basketball mind, someone that's been around basketball for twenty, I think close to even thirty or forty years. You know, overseas, obviously has coach head coaching experience with the Dallas and um and uh phoenix but you know it's it's so hard i'm like you it's so tough to obviously call for guys jobs or talk about guys jobs it's it's the toughest part of the job but you know at the end of the day you know he's coaching a championship expectation team and i don't i think if he can't really get off to a very good start with the kind of the ease that this schedule is kind of going at in these next couple weeks i think it's very it's it's going to be a realistic conversation
0: yeah, there's a fit. I think it is going to be a realistic conversation, especially when well, that brings us to the next thing, which is the schedule does get easier. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bunch of non-playoff teams from last year that the Nets have coming up uh, to play. You would think they should be able to fatten up on this, but I want to pump the brakes on that because yep. that still means they got to fix some of the other issues before they can do that. Mm-hmm. Is the offense going to look better? Is the defense going to look better? And then I still think even if, let's say they play well against these teams, Chris, people are still going to say, oh, well, they did it against those teams. And I'm always somebody Mm -hmm. who's like, you got to take care of business against who you got to take care of business of. Mm -hmm. But it does matter how you look against the upper echelon, better defensive teams in the league. Um, Do you think they take advantage of this upcoming easier schedule here?
1: I think they do. I think they do. But at the other on the other side of the spectrum is that um you also gotta look that, hey, the Nets have a history of underestimating their opponents, especially when they're considered lottery teams. You look at the Pacers, for example. They're expected to be a lottery based team, right? They're obviously, considering what they're gonna do, I expect them to trade Miles Turner and Buddy Hill by the deadline, if not sooner. But when you look at those type of teams, you know, there's a history of underestimating them. And the Nets, you know, they dropped a handful of games last year against those type of, that type of level of competition, right? So it's important for them to come out, jump out to an, a big star early on, gain a lead. And obviously you know you look at kind of the smaller kind of bright lights and gems that you could get out of it, right? Like I mentioned before, maybe you could give Kevin some rest there, right? You get you get some extra looks at some other guys. Obviously Steve's known for his experimentation in these opening games, which he has done obviously through lineups with going ultra small uh, before, obviously giving, Ah, uh, David Duke Jr. Look last night. and Watanabe also had a good performance last night. Back-to-back triples that served its value. Edmund Sumner's been obviously had his had his moments as well, but you know it's it's so it's vital for this team to really take advantage of the schedule coming up, right? Because you have the you have the Pacers twice, you have the Bulls, Wizards, Hornets, you have the Mavericks again, and then you got the Knicks, right? Then that's before the West Coast swing, where it's obviously Clippers, Lakers, uh, Trailblazers, and Kings, right? So that's a, that's obviously a very, that's a kind of a tough schedule that could flop you either way. Right. So it's important for them to really take advantage of this opportunity. Like we just talked about too. I think it's important for um, the Nets too, because it gives them a confident boost, especially if they drop low. And that's obviously, I think that would be the point that adversity hits. And like I said, you know, it's already whirlwinds around this team. You don't want that to turn into a
0: tornado. No, 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 no. You do not want that to happen at all. Um, last thing before I let you go and get Mm -hmm. you out of here. Um, we talked about all these issues. We talked about the defense, the offense, um, some of the lack of shooting that might be on the team with non-shooters and all of that, the coaching. Are these issues fixable, right? You mm-hmm. talked about a small roster move and getting mm-hmm. a lumbering big can do some better rebounding. Is it just that? Are these issues fixable? Or should we start looking at the Nets another way and saying, maybe this isn't a championship team?
1: I've always thought going into the season, I don't know, I felt like I was like, you know what? I'll pick the Nets. I'll I'll have them go against the Clippers in the NBA Finals. Give me Clippers in seven. Because, you know, like with this Nets team, it's so unpredictable. But even though it's such an early sample size, it's five games. There's a likely... I'm more on the boat of, hey, it's going to be more likely that they turn things around and obviously go in the complete opposite direction where everything blows up. To an extent, though. But, you know, I think... I don't think the issues are completely fixable. I don't think they're completely fixable. And the reason I say this is when you look at what transpired in the offseason, especially kind of the demands that Kevin did make, having that ultimatum, you already have that extra baggage on your shoulders. You have that weight on your shoulders. And that's why I kept mentioning the adversity point in this, right? It's because when this team does hit adversity, the, in the back of their minds of their teammates, obviously, you don't want any distraction in these type of situations, but Dexter, you know better than anyone, when that type of stuff is in the back of your head. Like, Kevin was not pleased after the game, the post game. He said, hey, we have to take a look at everything. You know, he said, uh, that, that obviously, how we kind of summed up what happened in overtime, they made more shots, they, we missed more shots. But that quote of, hey, we need to look at everything. That kind of showed a little bit of a level of frustration brewing, right? And when you and when you have this type of team, like I mentioned earlier, and when I came on, a um, bunch of new faces, a bunch of new kind of schemes. They Nash talked about, hey, we got a new offense. We're going to ha- apply more defensive principles. Obviously, with Igor, he's the one leading the offensive schemes. But to sum up the whole point in a bow, I don't think it's going to be completely fixable. The only way I could see this being completely fixable is if they do make some moves. And I, I say that there, and you know, you look at the roster, like I mentioned before, you don't have that many moves or that many options or assets to move in those situations, considering the guys you signed. You look at a guy like Patty Mills, for example. He kind of became an untradeable asset, in my opinion, with the money that they gave him this offseason. So it's, it's one of those teams, like I mentioned, it's a puzzle that just has so many uneven pieces, and they're just trying to squish them together
0: and trying to see what the best product they can put out there is. Yeah, it's I, I'm leaning with you. I'm not sure this is um this is fixable, but I'm willing to give it more time. Like you said, a small yep. sample size theater. Game twenty-five. Five Game twenty-five. <laughs> right. Let's let's get there. I usually like to get to twenty, twenty-five. We'll see how things are. Hopefully, uh things are better for the Brooklyn Nets fans. Because I know mm-hmm. for like you said, it's been stressful for the fans. They had the days stressful, where there wasn't man. championship expectations, and now it's been a lot of championship expectations and there've been so much drama around this team that I think has been a a little bit shocking and we're hoping that it gets better. Uh, Mm -hmm. Everybody check out Chris Mulholland, his work with the Nets at Sports Illustrated. He's been doing a fantastic job there. And don't forget, he's still, like I said, still part of the Nets daily family. Of course. Uh, He's been doing stuff there. He is not gone. Uh, He's still doing stuff there. And I always love to see the work you're doing. Keep up the great work, bro. Um, Continue. And I know we're going to talk again very soon i'm sure about mm-hmm. the next. i'll tell you what if uh mm-hmm. if things get worse we'll be talking a lot sooner than maybe we expect but <laughs> yeah we're, you we're never not, know we're not hoping we're not hoping for that i'm not no. we're not hoping for that we're, we're positive you know yeah
1: exactly not well hoping. once again man i I really appreciate you having me on always a blast talking to you and you know yeah, obviously we text all the time and you know you're a great guy kid big mentor of mine as well for the guys obviously watching
0: really appreciate Thanks. you Thank you, man. I really, seriously, tell everybody, please go give Chris a follow. I love what he's doing. He's doing great work. And uh, check him out. And he will be back on the show again, I'm sure, quite a few times before the season's over. Chris, be well. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Next up, we have our NBA Picks segment. Uh, I'm going to give you the best bets on NBA Picks tonight. Uh, If you missed anything with Chris, you can go back and watch uh, that segment. But we are going to take a quick break. I'm going to come back with my best bets for the NBA tonight. That is Friday, October 28th. almost. Will be on the end of the second week of the season, unbelievably already. All that coming up when we return on the NBA Exchange. Are you looking for a better way to play player props or daily fantasy sports? Well, look no further than Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the leading over-under daily fantasy game. Why? Because it's so easy to use and win. You can make your picks in under 30 seconds, and win up to 10 times your money in one day. Right now, we have a special offer for our viewers and listeners of the NBA Exchange. All you got to do is sign up now and use the promo code NBAEX. PrizePix will match your first deposit up to $100. Yep, that's right. They'll match your first deposit up to $100. So, join the over 150,000 others who found a better way to play and download the prize picks app today. All right, for my NBA bettors out there, it's been pretty all right for me recently with the NBA betting. Um, hit on some really good props of lately. You know, you have your ups and downs, but we try to give you the best information uh, that you can to make some of these best bets in an interesting slate of games tonight. There wasn't a lot um, that really grabbed my attention and I really looked at some of these games tonight um, and what I was going to think about betting here, and it was really interesting. There's some stuff I was like, ah, I like it, but, you know, I might stay away from it, Uh, but I'll have my eyes on these games for sure tonight. I think the sexy, juicy matchup for everyone tonight is the Cleveland Cavaliers. They will be in B-town to take on the Boston Celtics. That's a game I did not choose to take to uh, bet on, Um, but one of the things I'll tell people if we want to talk about that game We'll really be looking at Jared Jared Allen. He's averaging a double-double. He's been a beast on the boards. Um, you know, the Celtics are a good rebounding team, even without Robert Williams. So I say watch that, but that's a player prop some people might want to be interested in. So I wanted to get that one there. But, all right, here are the games I'm rocking with tonight. Okay, first up, we got the Charlotte Hornets against the Orlando Magic. Both teams coming off losses. The Magic, they're 0-5 on the season. They've not got a win, but... But, 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 Paolo Bancaro, he's been looking really good. More on that later. The Hornets, they're two-point favorites in this one. Magic, if you like the money line for them, plus 106. The over-under for this is 220. Now, the Hornets, they're coming off of a loss on Wednesday night at Madison Square Garden and played the New York Knicks. Uh, I don't know if I'll call that game thrilling, uh, but both teams blowing some leads, and it was very uh, entertaining down the stretch. The Knicks coming out with the victory at the Garden in overtime. Um, the Hornets, interesting team. They've dealt with some injuries. LaMelo Ball, Terry Rozier being out. Dennis Smith Jr. has been playing and starting point guard, and he's actually been playing pretty well. Um, and this is a team, you know, who's going to pride themselves on defense, getting stops with head coach Steve Clifford. Uh, the Magic, they've been struggling. I said 0 and 5, but Powell, Powell Ben Caro, he's been looking amazing. Uh, probably the front runner for rookie of the year, although Ben Mathurin in Indiana might have something to say about that. He's been balling pretty good, too, right now. Look, Anything right now with Bancaro in terms of getting buckets, look at that as a player prop. I think that's a really fantastic thing to look at in terms of Bancaro right now. But in terms of this game, if I'm betting this game, I like the Hornets. I think they bounce back here. The Magic, they've been playing teams tough. And this is a, you look at the line, Vegas thinks that this will be a close game. They're not buying the Hornets with the injuries and the Magic have been playing people tough. But I like the Hornets to bounce back here. It's two points. I don't necessarily love... Uh, taking bets when it's f- under four points in terms of the spread. I like the Hornets here, but just take the Hornets money line because um, you don't want if it gets close or it's a one-point game or something. Don't even play around with that. Just take the money line. You're going to have to probably throw down a bit of more money to win what you want. But take the money line. I like the Hornets here. Um, I like any props with bankero over 23, 24 points. He's been averaging right around there. I think it's 24 and a half. He could be a little bit better from the field. His three-point shooting has been shaky, but he's shooting about 45% from the field. So looking at any props of Ben Caro. Um, if you're still looking for the Magic to get their first win, I know that plus 106 might be enticing to you, but I do not think they get their first win here uh, at all tonight. So that's it. The over-under, that's a stay away from me. I can see this being a high-scoring game. Um, I might want to stay away from that. I don't really have a good feel for that. But give me the Hornets' money line here. Uh, to win. I like the Hornets straight up to win. My second game of the night, Chicago Bulls. They're four and a half point favorites. They are down in San Antonio to take on the Spurs. Plus 160 for the Spurs, the over-under for this. A very high 229 in this one. The Bulls have been playing some better ball of late. We you know their issue's a point guard with no Alonzo ball, but Zach Levine has been playing pretty well. The Spurs, they've played tough too. This is another one of these teams early in the season, and if you're looking at a team like Chicago, who still has playoff aspirations, these teams early in the season that have been playing hard, whether it be San Antonio, whether it be Utah, who's 4-1 and one, unbelievably, take note, shout out to my man, Matthew Finiza, it's very interesting. Now, San Antonio's playing hard. We know they're coached by Greg Popovich. But I think the Bill Bulls are going to come in here looking at this as, hey, this is a game we need to have on the road. You can't afford to drop games in a very tightly contested Eastern Conference, as many people expect. I think this is one they get. I like that line of four and a half. I do think there's a lot of respect to the Spurs playing hard here early in the season. But I like Zach Levine and the boys to do their thing down at the Alamo. So give me the Bulls to cover here, minus four and a half uh, down in San Antonio. I think they're able to get the job done. And my last game of the night that I have to always give you guys three, New Orleans Pelicans who played extremely well to start the season. have been very impressive. I told y'all I love them in terms of my over-under. Took them over and wins. They are road underdogs, okay, folks? They're road underdogs in this one. They're visiting the Phoenix Suns. Now, this was a team in the Suns that I told you to take the under on. I thought they were going to have a lot of chemistry issues. And the Suns, I'm going to be honest, they've looked a little bit better than I thought they would. They are 3-1 and one right now. The Pelicans also have the same record at 3-1. and one. And the Pelicans... They do have some health issues, and I think that's reflected in the line here. Brandon Ingram still out with a concussion protocol. He will not play tonight. Zion Williamson is expected to play, very likely to play, but keep your eye on this. If you're going to make a bet on this early, keep an eye on that. That line can move right now. Suns seven-and-a-half-point favorites. That is a lot, but here's the thing I like. The Pelicans, even with the injuries they've had, they've been playing well. They've been playing tough. I keep saying I think continuity matters. I've spoken about this with the Knicks. I think this also matters in terms of the Pelicans as well, too. They're playing very tough. I think this is also a team that's going to be up to play the Suns to show, you know, we're kind of here in the Western Conference. So that minus 7.5 for the Suns? Nah, give me the Pelicans and the points. I'm taking the Pelicans plus 7.5 and the points here. I'm not saying the Pelicans will win, but I think they make this a tight game. I think it's very competitive. I think they'll be in it late in the fourth quarter and I can see them losing by a few points. So I like the Pelicans here um, and the points. I think they could even get a win because they'll be very motivated uh, here, here in this one. Now, the Suns, they've looked good. They've been better. Chris Paul struggled shooting the ball earlier in the season. He looked better the last couple games, including the other night against the Golden State Warriors, in which he shot the ball a lot better. But I think this is a team that can do a lot of damage inside. And I say watch out for Zion Williamson props in this. The Suns don't have a lot of depth at the four. And we know Zion can big boy a lot of people. I think he might have his way if he does indeed play tonight, getting uh, rebounds inside. So look at the Zion for a double-double. I don't know what the odds will be on that, but check that out if they're good. I think that's a good play. Also, anything with Zion over 9.5 rebounds might be a good play. We know him and Valachunas can clean up well on the boards. Also, Valachunas' double-double might not be a bad player prop here as well, too. So those are my picks tonight. I got the Hornets' money line, right? Got the Bulls covering that four and a half on the road down in San Antonio. And I got the Pelicans and the points as they travel to the Valley to play the Suns. Those are my picks for Friday night. Should be a good one. It's a wrap on the second week of the NBA season already. Got to give a thank you to our guest today, Chris Mulholland, Sports Illustrated, covering the Nets. Great job. Great discussion with him, talking about what's been going on in Brooklyn. And we'll see if that ship can get turned. It's going to be interesting, guys, as we talk over the next couple of weeks, because we're going to start to get further and further. Our sample size grows bigger with these teams. Who do we believe in? Who do we not believe in? Who starts to separate themselves? It'll be very interesting to see, but right now we're in the very early stages of the NBA season. And uh, I'm excited basketball is back. There's a lot of great stuff to talk about. We'll have more stuff to talk about next week. Just to let people know on a programming note, I'm starting to think about making some changes. We have varied the times of doing the show. Monday, we may go to an evening format, um, doing this live in the evening, so we get stuff a little bit closer to the lines with the betting that we talk about um, as well. So we've started to see some things where the numbers are a little bit better as we're closer to the games. So we might make that change from some of the earlier times we've done interviews, but a lot of it will depend on what our guests can do and how we can get that done. So once again, thanks to our guest, Chris Milholland. Fantastic job he did covering the Nets. We'll be back next week on Monday with a new episode if you missed any of that you can catch it uh go back watch on youtube facebook the audio is up on all streaming platforms for us we actually appreciate that please hit the subscribe button please hit the like button on youtube and facebook however you watch or consume the show we appreciate you very much uh and we look forward to talking to you next week about some more nba basketball on the nba exchange so for this edition of the nba exchange i'm dexter henry Thank you to everybody. Until next time, people, peace.